And I'm Elena. And welcome to History Honeys. The podcast where a married couple teaches each other about cool stuff in the past. That's right. So let us shower you with facts. So, uh, we have an exciting episode today. Oh? Yes. We are going to talk about Epcot. Yeah. We are continuing our Disney series. We've had some requests or, or more like questions. Hey, when are you going to get back to it? And the answer is right, right now. now. We're doing this. <laughs> and man, is there a lot to talk about. Yeah. This is our longest outline yet. We're, we're going to start at the very beginning. A very good place to start. We can't keep. <laughs> we already did that episode. We can't keep going back to it. We're starting at the beginning of how the idea of Epcot started. Mm -hmm. And it was very, very different than what we have today. Right. So what we have today is uh, a second theme park in the Walt Disney World Resort. Yes. That is sort of half technology-focused attractions and half a, a tour of the world. Yes. Yeah, I'm not surprised that wasn't someone's original idea. That's a weird <laughs> idea. So in our last episode about Disney, we talked about the Magic Kingdom. And in that, we had to talk about the Florida plan a bit. Mm -hmm. The Florida plan was Walt Disney's desire to build another project on a much bigger scale than Disneyland. Magic Kingdom was a small, small section of the plan. Mm -hmm. Teeny tiny little bit. The main plan was Epcot. Yeah. Which Epcot stands for the Experimental Prototype Community of Tomorrow. Progress City. Not a theme park Not at a all. theme park. A place where people would live, work, raise children, uh, and new technologies would be tried. An experiment in utopian urban planning. Yes. <laughs> so in the 1960s, Walt was thinking a lot about the future of the world. What would become of where we'd live? And this probably had a lot to do with the fact that he had a family. He was watching them grow. And he was super old. He was old. I was worried about, you know, what was going to become of everyone. So that's when he took an interest really in urban planning. Planning out communities really, like, in a way isn't new to him because the development of Disneyland, they had to use a lot of the same planning techniques. Yeah. Traffic management. Yeah. Traffic, utilities, um, various stuff like that. But... He, you know, focused on city planning. Right. What goes into that? How to make a good community. The original plan, mm -hmm. not only was it going to be not just a theme park, <laughs> an actual community to live in, but Epcot was also going to be the central attraction of the Florida plan, mm -hmm. not Magic Kingdom. Right. Because as we talked about in the Magic Kingdom episode, yeah. we're treading a little bit of the same ground. Yeah. Uh, like that was their... Originally just to make the banks happy and, and get their loan money. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> the board wanted a surefire hit like Disneyland. They wanted an amusement park. Walt didn't want to just make another copy of Disneyland, though that is pretty much what ended up happening. Um, <laughs> but he did recognize that a theme park like it would really benefit the rest of his plan. Mm -hmm. It'd be a way to drive interest, to bring people there, also make money to help support it. So you're telling me that it was an intentional bait and switch. <laughs> Come to this wonderful magic kingdom, but well, on the way. <laughs> yes, yes, actually. So in designing the layout of how things would be on the property that they had, he put 
the theme park, which would become Magic Kingdom, in the northernmost area of the property. The idea was guests would come through the southernmost point Mm -hmm. and have to travel all the way through everything else on the property before getting to the theme park. Yeah. Which is where they actually want to go. Can't miss it. Uh So they would have to see Epcot. They would have to see this futuristic city and other things they built. We're going to talk a little bit about the design of the city that he wanted to make. So it was designed in a wheel similar to the layout of Disneyland. Mm -hmm. So you have the city center and then it's radiating out out from the core. Um, At the center would be a 30-story hotel and convention center and it would be the tallest building. It would be closely surrounded by commercial areas, including shops and restaurants from around the world, themed to the countries they were from. Does that sound familiar? Mm, Yeah. Yeah. There's still nothing 30 stories there, like anywhere. So that area, the city center with the shopping, the restaurants, the commercial areas, all that, would be enclosed by a giant dome. A glass dome. (laughs) See, and this is where he becomes a Bond villain. And there's also going to be an orbital laser in the moon. Yes. So, you know, that would protect people from the elements, you know, the Florida elements, because they get so many different ones. It's necessary. Occasional heavy rain. We might get too much sunshine. Oh, no. Um, just outside of where the dome would be, would be high-density apartment housing. Mm-hmm. And then just outside of that would be what they called the Green Belt. So it would be not only, like, parks, but it would have city services, uh, community centers, playgrounds, schools, churches, all right. that type of stuff. Outside the green zone would be the residential housing. And the residential mm-hmm. housing was actually, sh- like, shaped like a petal. So the houses would be along the outside of the petal, and then the inside area would be, like, you know, lawns, Mm -hmm. sidewalks, all that type of stuff. At Epcot, no one would own their own land or houses. Yeah. No one would own anything. You know the problem with the American dream? Home ownership. (laughs) We're going to get rid of that, and everything will be better. So Walt wanted to be able to hold control of the housing because this is supposed to be a future, like a prototype city, futuristic. It's supposed to be filled with mm-hmm. the newest and greatest. If people own their own homes, they would have the ability to change or not change things. If they didn't own it, new technologies would be able to be brought in and tested within the community. Right. He would be everyone's landlord. Yes. 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 Few people know that inside Mickey Mouse's white gloves are iron fists. <laughs> with wanting to do that, he also... All the places were going to be designed with keeping in mind that they'd want to change stuff. So, like, the architecture would make that easy to do. Mm-hmm. Like, they weren't going to put a built-in oven in a wall. Because that's hard to do. you got to knock out a wall to, yeah, like, change yeah. it type things. You know, stuff like that. Also, no one who lived there within the city could, like, not be employed. Mm-hmm. Like, everyone was employed. There were going to be no retirees. No, like, jobless people. Thank you for uh, your years of service to the community. Here's uh, a gold watch and your eviction notice. Welcome to Epcot. I I think, I mean, I don't know for sure. I kind of assume that, like, you know, as you age, you just maybe move on to something different. Mm -hmm. Something, you know, volunteer work or something more so for the community. That type of stuff. 
instead of... Volunteer work doesn't pay Uncle Walt's but, rent bill. I mean, not like strictly volunteer work, but stuff that would be volunteer work, but as like a job type thing. Okay. Like, I feel like there probably would have to be like different tiers of jobs to help support this idea. We can give them the benefit of the grandma doubt, <laughs> but I'm not sure they thought it through that far. I, yeah, I don't know. But Walt, Walt did say... Everyone living in Epcot will have the responsibility to maintain this living blueprint of the future. Yes. So it was, we're we're all in this together. We all have to participate. And anyone who's down on their luck will be shipped off to Kissimmee and they can deal with it. I think those people just have to go like dress up as Mickey Mouse, (laughs) pay their dues. Um, Another focus of the city was transportation. So everything was designed so residents of the city would not need a car unless they wanted to travel outside of the, like, property. Mm -hmm. And I can't imagine why they would. (laughs) Uh, The transportation system was designed in a layered system. So the bottommost layer, which was farthest underground, um, was for trucks. Mm -hmm. Deliveries, um, all the type of stuff that would, like, support the city. Uh, the middle layer, which was also below ground, was for cars. Cars either, you know, driving into the city, through the city, or parking. So we're talking about like lower Wacker Drive and even lower Wacker yeah. Drive yeah. for local listeners. Yes. And then the ground level would be the pedestrian level. Mm-hmm. Cars would be kept out of that area, eliminating the risks of accidents. And this also kind of connects to Walt's idea of wanting like the behind the scenes stuff hidden Mm -hmm. you know like if you can put that elsewhere put it elsewhere so everything looks prettier there's echoes of the utilidor system in this yeah now within the property the need for cars wasn't like there wasn't a need for the cars because they had two main modes of public transportation Mm -hmm. there was the monorail hey yes uh, now, that was introduced at Disneyland in the 50s, but it's not really a means of transportation there. It's more of it's, just a ride. It's a ride, yeah. So the monorail would cut through the city center and connect everything together, all the way up to the theme park and then the other places within the property. Mm-hmm. Uh, internal travel would be handled by the Wedway People Mover. <laughs> Wed, W-E-D, that's Walt's initials. Uh-huh. Yeah. The People Mover... Never stops moving. Uh, it relies on motors in the track and not the vehicles. Uh, and the people mover would be connected to the city center and the outer residential areas. The concept is what you would have seen at Disneyland <laughs> and the Magic Kingdom now, um, but on a much larger scale. Yeah. The monorail and people mover would come together at a transportation lobby. Mm-hmm. Um, your, your transfer point. Yeah, your transfer point. Um, it would also be connected... Uh, via the monorail to an airport that they originally planned to build. It was the airport of tomorrow or something like that, they called it. And that would have been built at the southernmost point of the property. Because of where they placed the airport, that is down by where they, you know, wanted to, like, cipher people in to the property. Southernmost point. Now, whether you were driving or arriving by the airport, your first destination was going to be a welcome center. Now, the welcome center... Um, would be where you'd go and you'd like plan your entire stay and you'd be greeted by someone who could speak your native language. Like they'd oh. have people there who could speak every language. Mm-hmm. Um, so that way you didn't have to try to speak a language you weren't comfortable with. You could speak your own. Mm-hmm. After the welcome center, you'd board the monorail and you had the option to go directly to Epcot 
Or you could get off before that and see Epcot Industrial Park. And really, did they expect anyone well, to take that off? I mean, you can always go back to it. The park <laughs> was where the major corporations were developing the new technologies oh, for yeah. the city. Um, and you could take tours of it. And I imagine a lot of the people living in Epcot would have been employees of these companies. Yes. At their their offices at the industrial park. Yes. Yep. And now the hope um, behind having this industrial park where you could take tours, where you could see all this technology, was that guests would be encouraged by it to seek technological growth when they went home. Mm-hmm. To, to want to bring these things back to their communities. I saw the tour of the Ford plant where they make the F-150 in Dearborn. Yeah. That's a kind, That's a cool kind of tour. Yeah. I can see that being a, a thing. Yeah. I, I went to a factory where they make corrugated cardboard. How was that? It was actually kind of cool. All right. <laughs> see, it's a sound concept. Yeah. It, those people will yell at you if you say cardboard box. It's a corrugated cardboard box. Well, yeah. <laughs> there was a big, big deal. <laughs> so on the monorail after... The industrial park was Epcot, and the city center. And then so after could. that was Magic Kingdom, or the theme park, not yet named Magic Kingdom. So, like, you had to go through all these other things before you could get there. Well, yeah, you got to save dessert for last. <laughs> Depending on the shopping, I could imagine a lot of people actually enjoying Epcot. Yeah, I mean, it's... It certainly would have been interesting to... To walk around inside a domed city, like it's some sort of Bioshock 3 on land this time. Like, if you look at the concept art they had for the city, mm-hmm. like, my God, are people going to want to stop there? Yes, it's freaking <laughs> ridiculous. I'm sure, like, it's, the it's industrial, one of a kind, the industrial sure. park was probably just as insane to look at. Like, mm-hmm. people are going to be like, oh my gosh, I got to go look at this too. Uh, <laughs> Good heavens. Good heavens. What are they doing? Uh, A lot of this stuff you can actually see Walt Disney explain in some of the videos that were made promoting this idea. Check out the links in the show notes. Yes. One of the interesting things Walt says in one of those videos showing off all the plans. He says, everything in this room will change time and time again as we move ahead. But the basic philosophy of what we're planning for Disney World is going to remain very much as it is right now. And then he died. And then he died. (laughs) Um, So obviously that didn't happen, but it really like kind of grabs at his idea of wanting new ideas, new concepts to not just make one thing and have it be it. He was looking for growth. with Development change. Development change, yeah. Which is interesting and not something you necessarily always think about Mm -hmm. as being, like, the Disney idea. But for him, that was. Mm -hmm. Um, In addition to some of these videos that they made, um, including, like, the one press conference and the TV special, um, another place where you could see uh, plans for Epcot was the Carousel of Progress. Hey, back again. Uh, So as we talked about in the last episode, the Carousel of Progress was developed for the New York World's Fair. Now, after the fair ended and Walt's death, it opened at Disneyland. The fifth act of it there showed a detailed model of Progress City, a preview of Walt's vision for Epcot. Oh, Um, It was extremely detailed. Things lit up. Things moved. It was like the entire 
entire place. Mm -hmm. Everything was included. Now, when the ride closed and moved to Walt Disney World in 1975, the model of Progress City was not included. Oh. But a section of that model is what you see at Magic Kingdom on the People Mover. Yeah, it's like in the attic of, I think, the Carousel Progress? Yeah. It's in one of the buildings, and you can only see it when you're on the People Mover ride. Yes. Um, Now, it is like a small section, though. It only shows the Urban Center and the Green Belt. Mm -hmm. None of the rest of it was included, and most of the animation is turned off, but it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. (laughs) It's pretty cool. Walt died on December 15th. 1966 from lung cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sad this time because this was in an earlier episode. I'm prepared. Yeah, sorry. A little repetitive, but we got to <laughs> talk about it. Um, so in May of 1967, uh, Florida governor signed Chapter 67764 into law. And that allowed for the establishment of the Reedy Creek Improvement District, which was what Walt was after for a long time so they could have the municipal jurisdiction over mm-hmm. the property. So that his company essentially is the government yes. of this land. Which that is something they needed to make Epcot City happen. Mm-hmm. Like without that, that could not happen. So suddenly like they have it. They can do this if they want, Mm -hmm. but because Walt is dead, the Disney directors are like, eh, city planning? No, we're not going to do that. That is risky. That is way less profitable. (laughs) And Roy Disney took over, and he could not convince them to, you know, go with the idea of Epcot, but he did see Magic Kingdom happen. The creation, though, of the Reedy Creek Improvement District did allow for Disney to do a lot of other innovative ideas in transportation, design, construction, other things throughout the park. It allows them to do a lot. Yeah. Now we get to the part of how did Epcot come to actually happen? Yeah. So we start with this wild utopian idea that dies along with its thinker-upper. Yes. And, every- and eventually that turns into a theme park with a similar name. Yeah. How? Please tell me the story of how that shakes out. Okay. So the creation of Epcot actually happening can be credited to Card Walker. Okay. That's not a real name. <laughs> that's a friends at the table name. That's not a real person's name. It, well, his name wasn't actually Card. It was like Cardin. Okay. <laughs> I prefer Card Walker. So Card Walker started working as a mailroom clerk at Disney in 1938, and he moved up the ranks over the years. Mm -hmm. Um, He worked in the camera department. He was a unit manager for short films. In 1956, he was the VP of advertising and sales. He must have been really good at sorting mail. In 1960, uh, he was on the board of directors. (laughs) And when Walt died in 1966, Walker became executive vice president and CEO. All right, sure. When Roy died in 1971, uh, Walker became company president under chairman and CEO Don Tatum. In 1976, Walker took over the CEO duties. Now, it was around this time that Walker took an interest in the Epcot idea. There's actually not a lot of details out there about, like, the process of actually getting this to happen. Mm -hmm. But Walker was the one that presented it to the board again let's do this i want to make this happen but they were like we cannot make a futuristic city no one is going to want to live there no one's going to want to live under like our control 
Yeah. Like, this isn't happening. All these companies that you want to invite to invest in the city and their uh, innovation district. Yeah. They'd rather just do it themselves secretly away from prying eyes. Yeah. In places they control. So Walker and the board, though, made a compromise. How exactly they came to this compromise is really unavailable information. (laughs) But the compromise was to make Epcot center. And instead of a city, it would be a type of World's Fair. Okay. That was kind of their take on this. So it would take Walt's hope for innovation and technology to make future world. Mm -hmm. And it would take his city shopping area um, concept to make world showcase. And the idea was it would be a celebration of human achievement and mankind's ability to shape the world. Okay. That was their theme here. The dedication plaque for Epcot reads, To all who come to this place of joy, hope, friendship, welcome. Epcot Center is inspired by Walt Disney's creative genius. Here, human achievements are celebrated through imagination, the wonders of enterprise, and concepts of a future that promises new and exciting benefits for all. May Epcot Center entertain, inform, and inspire, and above all, may it instill a new sense of belief and pride in man's ability to shape a world that offers hope to people everywhere. And that was E. Carden Walker on October 24th, 1982. That was their idea for it. Mm-hmm. And it it happened. It happened. <laughs> Hooray, it happened. <laughs> have you seen the videos for the opening day? I thing? don't think I oh have. Oh my no. god. You need you guys all need to watch them. So In the show notes. <laughs> there was an opening day ceremony that included the weirdest futuristic dancing. Yeah. <laughs> it's insane. Um the Sherman brothers wrote a song called The World Showcase March. Okay. Um there were performances and speeches, um, including by Cardwalker, and the first family, like, through the gates that day got, like, lifetime passes. Yay! <laughs> yeah. Um, There's also a TV special made about uh, the Epcot opening, which that, like, premiered around, like, the dedication day, mm-hmm. and that included uh, Danny Kay. Danny Kay is the other guy from Singing in the Rain, <laughs> if, yeah. if the name yeah. doesn't ring a bell. Uh, he sings a lot. Yeah. There's a lot of musical numbers. He's delightful. Um, also has little Drew Barrymore. She's okay. And Marie Osmond singing and like a whole bunch of other people. <laughs> and it's kind of weird. <laughs> it's got a robot. It does have a robot. It does have Figment mm-hmm. and Dreamfinder. So there's that. Now, before we move on to other stuff, giving a little bit more about Card Walker, the man who made this possible, who who took this idea and made... And reshaped it into something sellable and buildable. Yes, and allowed, you know, it to become what it is. In 1990, Michael Eisner Mm -hmm. uh, said that in every real sense, Card is the link between the small family-owned film company of the 30s and the major global corporation we are today. Mm -hmm. Which is pretty true, because Epcot opened October 1st, 1982. Uh, it was like three years after the groundbreaking, exactly. Now, Card retired from CEO in February of 1983, but he continued on the board till May because he was overseeing the opening of Tokyo Disneyland. Right. Uh, he helped launch the parks into a different direction, not only Epcot, but also going overseas. Mm-hmm. That was his other like project. His other baby was spreading out. 
Right. Which was... And also spreading the film business because uh, on the non-theme park side, there are some big changes between uh, the mid-70s and the early 80s. Yes. Yeah. There's that, too. There's that, too. But we're, we're talking about the parks. We're talking about the parks We're talking today. about the parks. That's a different episode that... We'll probably we'll... eventually get to one of these here. I think with that, it's probably a good time to take a break because we've given all the information about how it became, and then we're going to talk about... Like, what's inside of it? Yeah, what's in this here park? Yeah. Hang around for a few seconds, and you'll find out, too. The most exciting, the far, the most important part of our Florida project, in fact, the heart of everything we'll be doing in Disney World, will be our experimental prototype city of tomorrow. We call it Epcot. Spelled E-P-C-O-T. Experimental Prototype Community of Tomorrow. Here it is in larger scale. So, we talked about what you won't find. And now we're going to talk about what you will find and what you would have found and what you won't find. Well, that just about covers everything, so let's get to it. Yeah, some of the opening day attractions not all of them because it was kind of a long list but some of the opening day attractions included uh the journey into imagination pavilion which had uh something called magic journeys uh the land pavilion which had uh several attractions we'll talk about in a minute the communicore east and west pavilions spaceship earth earth station what even? I don't know it, what that it is. It had a film and guest services. Okay. It's kind of boring. <laughs> <laughs> Universe of Energy Pavilion and World Showcase. World Showcase included Canada, which had a Circle Vision 360 O Canada attraction. Uh, China, which also had a th- Circle Vision 360 Degrees Wonders of China uh, film. France, it had the Eiffel Tower and mm. a film. They really liked films. Well, they don't take up much space. No. They, they used up so much of their land on that giant lake in the middle. Yeah. Well, those countries all had, like, food and shopping, too. Yeah, they've uh, all got food and shopping. Yeah, Italy, Japan, and Germany just had food and shopping. Uh, Mexico had the... El Rio del Tiempo. That uh, ride. Yeah. Yeah, they had that. Uh, the UK just had food and shops, and the US pa- USA Pavilion had the American Adventure attraction. And so those were, like, opening day stuff. And now we're going to talk about some of the specific things. Sure. Which is where I'm probably going to get really excited sometimes. <laughs> we need to start with Spaceship Earth. Yeah. Because it's, like, the thing. It's the icon. It is a ride inside that big geodesic ball. Yes. That is probably the first thing your mind's eye pictures when you hear Epcot. The big golf ball. Yeah. It, yeah. It's not just a monument. It is a ride. You go yes. up in there. Well, the structure was designed with help from Ray Bradbury. <laughs> uh, he also helped write the original storyline for the ride. Uh, little known fact, something wicked this way comes was what he said <laughs> when he first heard about Epcot, the, the prototype community. Yeah. Um. So Spaceship Earth's ride is a... Travel through history. Mm-hmm. Travel. The history of communication. You kind of wind your way up. It's it's very relaxed. Very yeah. relaxing ride. A lot of people use their flash photography and you just kind of want to slap them because it ruins the ride. <laughs> and their pictures. And their pictures. Now, the attraction is 
undergone very few changes since it opened. Mm -hmm. The narrators have changed. It was Lawrence Dopkin, then Walter Cronkite, then Jeremy Irons, and currently is Judy Dench. Um, Walter Cronkite making his second appearance on History Honeys. Welcome yeah, back, Walt. Yeah. In 1986, um, they added, if you've written it, like the twinkling stars at the beginning. Oh, okay. That wasn't originally there. Then said they had like fog machines. So they removed mm-hmm. the fog machines and added some twinkling lights. And there was a theme song that was made for the end. Um, and they changed the end a little bit too. But it was a very small remodel. In 1994, they did a major remodel, which changed several of the scenes towards the end. Um, they removed some of the animatronic aspects that showed, like, people using computers from the 80s. Mm-hmm. And instead, they added some kids, like, I aming across the world. Yeah. yeah. And, and now even that's, that's really out of date. super outdated. And there was also an orchestral change, too. Not much has changed. What you see is mostly what it's been. But there was a concept to replace it uh-huh. that obviously has never happened. But there was a concept for something called Time Racers. <laughs> and it would have been still a ride through history of communication, but it would have been like high tech and kind of like faster and more of mm-hmm. a thrill ride version of it. Would it have been in the big ball? Yeah. Okay. I don't know how they would have done that, but apparently the concept was to, like, replace it and put it in the big ball. Replacing the entire big ball, there there would have been blood in the streets. But, like, I'm not sure the structure of the big ball can hold the forces of a thrill ride. I, uh, this is what I read. Maybe that's one of the reasons it fell through. And I do have a fun fact for you about Spaceship Earth. Oh, I love facts that are okay. fun. So if you stand under Spaceship Earth when it's raining, you will not get wet. Like, there's not going to be any water, like pouring down the sides of it <laughs> so yeah not only will you not get wet it, there's also like no ring of it running off uh-uh. like the side of a roof uh-uh. they built dra- a drainage system in it <laughs> so as the wa- it rains and the water's coming down it it funnels it mm-hmm. in into it and then like out into the lagoon it's a good thing they have that lagoon yeah <laughs> it's really cool the land pavilion mm-hmm. had listened to the land is what was there on opening day. Now, Listen to the Land is now called Living with the Land, and it is one of our favorite things. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't know if it's one of my favorite things, but it's something that I was very pleasantly surprised by how engaging and charming it was. It's our favorite hidden thing? Because it's yeah, pretty hidden. It's one it's... of those, like, nobody's ever going to tell you, oh, you have to ride the boat thing I... that takes you through... I'm going to. The... You need to ride it. It's great. <laughs> I love it. We are the first people is going to tell you, you have to ride the hidden boat thing that takes you through the, the greenhouse. I was actually, when you, we went, I was actually really excited that it was still there because I didn't know it was. And I was like, yes, this thing, we have to ride it. We have. To. We were the only people on their boat. <laughs> like, this is a ride you could literally, like, get up off your boat and, like, go walk around inside of the thing. Yeah. Except for security cameras. You, you really shouldn't. They frown on it. So it's so, so it's a dark ride on a boat on a boat that goes through greenhouses within the pavilion mm-hmm. along with like past some like audio animatronic things and stuff. Many places in Epcot try to be scientific. Yes. Places of scientific work. Purses with places within the front section. Yes. And uh I think the land is the one that does it best. Yes. Because they have an actual agricultural science yes uh, uh greenhouse and you get to 
check it out. It's yes. cool. And it's... it's the, the Seas Pavilion also has a working, like, research aquarium, which is pretty cool, too. Yes. Yeah. The seas and the land do it the best because they do have these things. And it's really neat because, like, the greenhouses are not something, like, you get to see any other way. Unless mm-hmm. you do, like, the extra tour that you have to pay for. And they're they're big, and the ride, you know, is supposed to teach you about agriculture, but um, a big focus is methods of hydroponics. Mm-hmm. And they have some really cool things going on in there. Now, the ride itself has, like, hardly changed mm-hmm. either. There used to be a cast member on the boat with you that would, like, oh. tell you all the stuff. Now it's automated mm-hmm. information. And it had a couple, like, scene changes, like, they added a storm scene at the beginning, and they, re- like, rearranged a few things. And there was a theme song that was removed. Like, it had an actual theme song with, like, <laughs> words. But you can still hear it, like, instrumentally. Oh, well, that's nice. But going with how, like, interesting their greenhouses are, the pavilion actually holds a Guinness record. Oh. It holds the record. Most charming edutainment boat. No, it, okay. it holds a record for one year yield from a tomato tree. <laughs> 32,000 tomatoes in one year. Wow. Yeah. Give that tree a medal. Yeah. The greenhouses within the pavilion also grow like 30 tons of food a year. <laughs> and that is used within Disney restaurants. Including restaurants in the same pavilion. Yeah. Restaurants within the pavilion, within Epcot, and other parks as well. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. How many tomatoes can they use just in Epcot? (laughs) Well, they have several Italian restaurants. They have tomatoes to spare. (laughs) I don't know. I think it's really neat. I think it's a very cool, like, hidden thing within the Lands Pavilion. Mm -hmm. Another thing that was there on opening day within the Lands Pavilion, keeping with the theme of food. Yes. It's my favorite. Yeah. Kitchen Cabaret. Yeah. I love Kitchen Cabaret so much. <laughs> kitchen Cabaret. Are you okay? Uh, are you okay? Is no, the I'm not. I love it. It's a 12 minute audio animatronic musical review about food. And the five food groups. You gotta so, eat your veggies, kids. The host was Bonnie Appetite. Mm. She emceed. Uh, and some of the musical acts were uh, the Kitchen Crackpots band. And they were made up of various containers. So you had, like, a container of mayonnaise and a container of, like, mustard and a container of butter. Mm-hmm. Um, you like one of those things. And then there's Mr. Dairy Goods and his stars of the Milky Way, which included Miss Cheese, Miss Yogurt, and Miss Ice Cream. Oh, heavens. <laughs> I love it so much. Uh, the Cereal Sisters, Marzi Oats, Renny Rice, and Connie Corn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wrote this all in for you. I hope you know that. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I do the editing. Uh, there was ham and eggs. They they were like the the vaudeville, you know, like slapstick. <laughs> At group. some point, we should just tell people <laughs> to find some sort of bootleg video and move on with that the is, day. That is on. We are going to link that. But I need to say these things because I've been waiting to talk about Kitchen Cabaret, okay? There was uh, the colander combo and the... Fiesta Fruit Singers, uh, they sang my favorite song, Veggie, Veggie, Fruit, Fruit. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then uh, everyone also did the final, of course. The, the big finale. Now, Kitchen Cabaret closed and was replaced in 1994 by Food Rocks. Mm-hmm. Food Rocks was also an audio animatronic show. 
But it I, was. I imagine it used a lot of the same hardware and just sort of rescripted, redressed a bit. Their their idea for this one was that it was a benefit concert for good nutrition. Well, yeah, I mean, '94 we're in the age of like Live Aid and Farm Aid. Yeah, yeah. It it was hosted by food rapper, real life rapper Tone Loke, and it took popular songs and foodified them. Is is that a verb you found in one of your sources? No, I, I made that one up. Good. So some examples of that was they did a cover of Bohemian Rhapsody called We'll Make It Count in the Kitchen by the Utensils. Mm-hmm. And uh, Good Nutrition by the Peach Boys. Oh. <laughs> uh, Every Bite You Take by the Refrigerator Police. This is worse. This is even worse. <laughs> yeah, food rock wasn't that great. Um, there was also uh, High Fiber, which was a cover of Sledgehammer by Pita Gabriel. Yeah, I loved him in The Hunger Games. <laughs> there was also uh, Just a Little Bit by the Get the Point Sisters, which was a co- cover of Respect. Mm-hmm. And probably um, about moderation and sweets. So uh, Food Rock closed in 2004. Now, it's believed the stage is still intact and hidden behind a wall. <laughs> in the building, uh, because That's Soren... That's the beginning of some sort of haunted house tale. <laughs> They Some make... say food rapper is heard in these hallways on a long winter's night. They could turn this into a horror movie. Like, take the concept of Toy Stories where they come alive when you're not watching, and mm-hmm. suddenly you've locked these poor food sculptures mm-hmm. behind a wall for all of eternity. Marzi Oates and food rapper are coming for you. Somewhere in when you're, like, in line or riding Soren which is now there, just know that there is some poor audio-animatronic food behind a wall, <laughs> wishing it could perform for you. But Soren is fun. Soren is fun. Soren's cool. Soren's a good ride. Soren's new. We don't need to talk about the history of Soren. The Land Pavilion also had Symbiosis, a 70-millimeter film about a balance between technological expansion and protecting the environment. Mm-hmm. It was, like, apparently very heavy. Very serious, like, showing, like, deforestation and stuff, and just very, like, It closed in 1995 and was replaced by A Circle of Life, an environmental fable. It seems the more people pay to get into a place, the more they expect to not be challenged. (laughs) Guess what? This show is free. (laughs) Circle of Life has Simba explaining to Timon and Pumbaa, who were, like, cutting down trees that, like... Their deforestation's bad, and it used the same lessons of the original film and used footage from it, too. This sounds awful. It's still going. Like, we could go see this next time we're there. I'd rather not. (laughs) So there uh, is also the universe of energy, Mm -hmm. which is one pavilion with one attraction. That takes 45 minutes. <laughs> now, the pavilion itself was an innovation in technology when it was built, as the roof is covered in 80,000 solar cells. Oh, um, and it which act- was big for 1980. Yeah, and it um, would operate like half of the attraction oh. with its own, like with the power, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. The ride that was in there used traveling cars that followed um, guide wires in the floor, not tracks. The attraction had multiple films about energy in, like, a serious manner and an audio-animatronic diorama of dinosaurs, because dinosaurs are cool. Dinosaurs are cool. Yeah. And melted dinosaurs is where we get fossil fuels. Yeah. Well, mostly the, the 
remains of plants from that era, but I digress. Yeah. So in the summer of 1996, the pavilion uh, was supposed to close so they could switch it over to its new concept of Ellen's energy adventure. Ellen being Ellen DeGeneres. But due to, like, other ride closures that summer, like, Mm -hmm. unplanned and some planned, um, they reopened it. Um, They needed to put the people in something. Yeah. So they put it in this half refurbished ride. Yeah. And, yeah, it made it very interesting because there's already, like, certain screens that they removed or changed out. So certain, like, effects in their videos, like weren't working (laughs) and they had already installed um an audio animatronic figure of ellen degeneres in the diorama the dinosaur diorama yeah yeah um so they hid it behind temporary rock work but it was like already programmed so it just like operated behind there and kept like diving at the rocks and stuff (laughs) oh ellen you're so goofy back when you had a sitcom so, uh, this is old Ellen. This is pre- this is old Ellen. This yeah. is closeted Ellen. I th- yeah, and look at her now. She just got a presidential medal of freedom. Yeah, yeah. Oh, she watched. It was so cute crying. He was emotional. <laughs> it was so sweet. Anyway, so the ride closed at the end of summer. So it was like literally like three months it operated like this, mm-hmm. and then it reopened in September as Ellen's Energy Adventure, um, which. Focuses on fossil fuels and touches a little bit on renewable sources. Mm-hmm. And you got such people as Bill Nye and Alex Trebek making cameos. You know what's not there anymore? Huh? The Ellen animatronic. No. No, they, they took it out. What? There's the World of Motion uh, Pavilion as well, which is now the Transportation Pavilion. Mm-hmm. Um, it had a ride that took you through audio animatronic scenes and projections that told the history of transportation from the wheel to present Mm -hmm. they really liked like diorama type rides when it opened (laughs) yeah yeah uh this closed in 1996 if you're gonna teach people something it it helps to go slow yeah well one step at a time they closed it for test track so they were done being slow they were like (laughs) let's go let's do this that's really all there is to say about that pavilion not too much test track has been rebranded when it got a different corporate sponsorship Mm -hmm. there was also um epcot rides seem to live and die by corporate sponsorship Yeah, yeah, that's one thing I haven't gone into, but literally every pavilion was sponsored by a corporate sponsor. They were partnered with something for everything, absolutely everything. And those, you know, changed over time, too. And with that, sometimes that came with other changes to the attraction. There was a concept for something in it to be added to the transportation area next to Test Track that oh. never came to happen. It was going to be um, when Test Track, they like raised their height requirement. Mm-hmm. They were going to, there was a concept for a junior utopia, more tame, child-friendly car ride yeah, that would yeah. happen next to it. Uh, regular listeners will know uh, what we already think of the uh, Tomorrowland Speedway. Yeah. I can't imagine what yeah. a waste of space. It's so bad. I'm glad it didn't happen. Well, I don't, I think they were designing after... I don't think they would have taken that design. I hope not. I hope they would have gone with something that would have actually been maybe fun for a child, because that's not fun for anyone. <laughs> so we also have the Imagination Pavilion. Your so, favorite. Yes. So when it opened, on opening day, it had 
one attraction going, and it had the Magic Journeys, which was a 3D film, and that premiered on opening day. It featured songs by the Sherman Brothers and showed the magic of the world through the eyes of a child. If this sounds familiar, it's because we already talked about it in our other episode. This film premiered at Epcot, uh, and it closed in 1986. But before it closed, it was already in operation at Disneyland and Tokyo Disney. And then in 1987, a year later, it opened at Magic Kingdom. Mm -hmm. So we talked about this in our Magic Kingdom episode. But what came to replace it at Epcot? (gasps) Captain EO! (laughs) The best. It's the the best. best. The best. So Captain EO was this amazing sci-fi movie. Well, I wouldn't go that far. (laughs) Oh, it's amazing. With... (laughs) special it's special and amazing uh it had michael jackson and angelic houston it was directed by francis coppola and executive produced by george lucas mm-hmm. it uh <laughs> is considered one of the first 40 films and the plot the plot okay I, i'm sure it has one so captain eo and his crew need to deliver a gift to the supreme leader who's angelic houston if the name's not ringing a bell, she's Morticia in the 90s uh, uh, Adams Family movies. Yeah. She was a main character in Smash, that NBC show a few years back. Oh, I th- yeah, that was a thing. Yeah. Adams Family, yeah. yeah. Everyone knows that. So when they arrive, they're captured and brought before her, and she sentences the crew to be turned into trash cans and Captain EO to 100 years of torture in her dungeon. Because Cap- she's into that sort of thing. Yeah. So, some some people turn into musical instruments, and Captain EO sings her a song to unlock the hidden beauty he sees within her. And then, like, shit happens. <laughs> people just start, like, transforming and dancing, and it is crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. It is a 17-minute long film that costs $30 million to produce. It is still, to this day, the most expensive film per minute yeah. of all time. Yeah. It closed in 1994. And it was replaced by Honey, I Shrunk the Audience till 2010. Honey, I Shrunk the Audience was a 40 film based on the film series where you got shrunk. I could have figured that. Yeah. Piece it together yeah, from the title. Uh, in 2010, they brought back Captain EO until 2015. Thank goodness. We got to see it. Currently, they show Disney and Pixar shorts in that theater. Okay. Which I'm glad they're at least using it for something, because I know for a while there was nothing going on in there after Mm -hmm. they closed Captain EO again. So I'm glad they at least, like, are utilizing it Mm -hmm. for something. Could it be a more exciting thing, like Captain EO again? Yeah. (laughs) Captain EO 2. It stars Drake. (laughs) It's kind of sad. Another ride in the Imagination Pavilion was my favorite. And I'm not going to talk about it too much because it's just going to make me sad. But it is Journey into Imagination. And that mm-hmm. opened on March 5th, 1983. A, a little bit after uh, the park opened, but... Yeah. They were yeah. putting the finishing touches on during uh, Dedication Day. Yeah. There, there's a few... There's kind of like a phase one open and then like a phase two open where stuff opened just like within a year mm-hmm. to three years afterwards. And Journey into Imagination falls into that. So that was another Omnimover ride. And you meet Dreamfinder and Figment, and it was 11-a-minute attraction, uh, and it focused on a spark of imagination. The idea of, you know, coming up with new ideas and art, literature, performing arts, innovation, that imagination is the key to unlocking the hidden wonders of the world. Yes. And Dreamfinder is a, a guy on the large side with a big red beard uh-huh. and a loud blue suit. 
It's more purple. Okay. Well, I guess it's blue and purple. It depends on the light concept. <laughs> and Figment is his purple dragon friend. Yes. And Figment, though, is, is made from a spark of imagination. Yeah. Figment is imagination. And I loved it so much. <laughs> I loved it so, so much. And it closed in 1998, and they replaced it with Journey into Your Imagination, which only lasted two years because it sucked. <laughs> Eric Idle replaced Dreamfinder as Dr. Nigel Channing, who is the same character that appeared in the Honey, I Shrunk the Audience ride. Yeah, it's, it's synergy. It fits. Mm. It's all... Yeah. So he used the audience as test subjects for his new invention, and like Figment, like wasn't in the thing at all, and like he was mean to Figment, constantly like, chasing him away when he tried to appear. It sucked. It was mm-hmm. Terrible. Which is a weird message when you're like, "Hey, imagination's awesome. I'm going to be rude to the embodiment of imagination." Well. I don't think this, that should have passed the early draft stage. This new concept too, like it doesn't even like grasp imagination the same way like it doesn't really it's all about coming up with ideas but it doesn't like that kind of like heart of imagination i feel like they just kind of got rid of Mm -hmm. and the current version which opened in 2002 which is like better than that version but it's still bad like there's more (laughs) figment but it's still got the stupid doctor and it focuses on the senses and mm-hmm. like and, and not how, imagination still. Well, how they can like bring things from your imagination. Yeah. How sense memory. I just feel like they've kind of lost like the the sense of what it was supposed originally supposed to be. Like what figment is. Yeah. They just kind of like dropped, and I was like, this is supposed to be the ride that like captures the imagination in the imagination pavilion, and you're talking about a lot of other stuff. <laughs> they did bring back the one little spark song though. Which was his theme song. Mm-hmm. So there's that. Anyways, there's also uh, the Horizons ride, yeah. which was in there. Horizons was a beloved ride back in the day. I vaguely remember it. It it opened in 1983 and it closed in 1999. So like, I think the only time I was on it, I was probably like five, <laughs> because the next time I was at Disney was like 1999, and I think I missed it. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it was already closed. It, it was being closed off and on throughout the mid-90s. Yeah. So I vaguely remember being on it. Um, I actually remember, like, the end of the ride, which we're going to talk about in a second. So it was a ride that moved past two huge Omnimax screens, which were, like, groundbreaking at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and showed visions of the future from the past. So, like, so your past in time. Futures. Like, this is what we think it'll be like. Like Jules Verne sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, like it. It went back to Jules Verne, followed by current visions of the future. Current meaning 1983. Let's not get wild here. The really unique thing about it was it had multiple endings. So it allowed riders to select what path to take back to, like, the station. So Mm. there are three endings you could have. Uh, You could travel through... Uh, space colonization. O- the correct choice. <laughs> ocean colonization. Also a good choice. Or uh, desert farming. The practical choice. <laughs> That's good. That is a good thing. Which, that is what I remember. I remember, like, that. The <laughs> end. I don't remember, like, anything else personally about this. If I went and watched videos, I'd probably remember more. But I do remember that. 
Now, it closed in 1999, after officially, after being closed multiple times. Mm-hmm. It had a lot of issues with sponsorship, uh, keeping a sponsor. There's also rumors there was, like, a sinkhole beneath one corner of it. Yeah, some issues with stability and stuff. So it closed. Uh, it was replaced by Mission Space. I hate Mission Space so much. <laughs> you love it. I know. I recognize it's a great ride for other people. That ride and I don't get along. It flips your tummy and it's a bit claustrophobic. I was like having a panic attack on that ride. I wanted to get off it. But it's a simulation ride. It fits like four people. It is really small. There's multiple simulators, but each one only holds like four people. And it's supposed to be like the first manned mission to Mars. Um, and Gary Sinise is giving you commands. Yeah. I love Gary Sinise. Uh, and it's it's pretty intense. Yeah, so uh, are Gary Sinise's eyebrows. Uh, all the time. The ride has killed a couple people. There is that. There is that. Um, and since 2006, they started offering a less intense version so people would stop dying. But you're still wedged inside like a five-ton clothespin. Like that does that wouldn't make it less intense for you, for example. Not for, yeah, I'm not for going on that ride again. <laughs> Spinning less isn't everyone's problem with this ride. Yeah. That's only some people's problem. It's, that's with for the, the ride. people who have like heart conditions right. and stuff, like the blood pressure issues. If you have claustrophobia, which I actually don't, but I just something cannot about handle that. this. Yeah, twigged you, um, twigged you hard. Just don't. Don't go on it. Don't go on it. You won't like it. <laughs> or you might really like it. No, know thyself. No, know that's thyself. My, that's my make a advice. Sm- make a smart decision. So there was the Communicore East and West Pavilions. Mm-hmm. And they opened on opening day and closed in 1994. They made it a bit. They didn't make they, it they quite to 15. So they were dedicated to technological advancement. And they housed rotating exhibits. Um, the main focus when it opened was educating people about computers. Mm-hmm. Like you could tour the Epcot Computer Central, which uh, was a computer system that ran things throughout the park. Like, And was that real? Was that like the computer that actually does run the animatronics, turn on the lights? They said it was, but I got to think that it probably only runs certain things because some stuff was probably more locational. Okay. I I assume that it did run stuff, like, throughout the entire park, but not, like, everything. Okay. I'm sure certain rides had their own, like, thing. It also had other things, like, there was, like, a population count that updated every second. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were robots with voice recognition that could interact with guests. Various things like that. And it was replaced by Innoventions, which is a museum with changing displays. And by changing, we mean vacating. Interventions is very vacant these days. Yes, yes. So while it was going, though, it did have, like, you know, every, like, eight months to every couple years, there was something else rotating in Mm -hmm. there. Apple had a big display in there for a while. There was Bill Nye the Science Guy had something for a while. There was various things coming through there. Now, the Communicore pavilions were actually built with a second level to house a people mover that never happened. Oh. Yeah. The last thing we're going to talk about um, in the, like, future world section, I just, just want to let everyone know about a wonderful thing in the Wonders of Life Pavilion. Now, the Wonders of Life Pavilion is something that listener Voidberger wrote in about uh-huh. in our Magic Kingdom episode listener mail segment. Yeah, which, oh, I just realized I didn't talk about anything with the seas. The seas is really cool. Yeah, it's There's a- lots of fish. 
it's basically a big aquarium. It was actually like the largest, at least at the time it was built, it mm-hmm. was the largest aquarium of its kind in yeah. the world, which is really cool. There's lots of really neat stuff there. There's fish and stuff. Look mm-hmm. at fish. Um, but yeah, so in the Wonders of Life Pavilion was the making of me. <laughs> this is where Martin Short explains how babies are made. <laughs> It opened in 1989 with a sign that warned parents. Noted expert of human sexuality, 1980s Martin Short. And it closed in 2007. Now, I'm not going to go into detail about this because there's some great YouTube videos for that that we are going to link in there and you can go experience it for yourself. (laughs) So that's Future World. Uh Uh-huh. But there's still another whole half of Epcot to talk about. Yep, yep. But I need to stretch my legs. Okay. We'll be right back. One little spark of inspiration is at the heart of all creation. Right at the start of everything that's new. One little spark lights up for Oh, hello there. So glad you could come along. I am the Dreamfinder. So one thing we didn't really mention, because mm-hmm. it's not a historical detail, it's more a geographical one, mm-hmm. is that Epcot is a much larger park than had been open before in terms of acreage. Yes, it's huge. And part of that is this giant lagoon they put in the middle. Yeah. Which I like to look at, but it's a nightmare walking from one end of the park to the other. <laughs> it's it's a big if you like if you do the loop around the lagoon, I believe it's one point three miles. What's on the far side of that giant lagoon? Dude? Oh, okay. So we have World Showcase. Yeah. Uh, and World Showcase is cool. It's a <laughs> it's a set of pavilions, each themed to a, a country from around the world. So you yes. get to do a little bit of your globe trotting in a one point three mile loop. Yes. So when it opened, it had uh, nine countries. It had Canada, China, France, Italy, Japan, Germany, Mexico, the UK, and the US. The like we said, they they all have shopping. They, they all have shopping. Food. They all have food. Some of them have rides. Speaking of rides. Yeah. The Mexico Pavilion. Uh, we mentioned the ride it has. El Rio del Tiempo. The yeah. River of Time. Yeah, you just say that so well. It's because it's not in German. <laughs> so that operated until uh, 2007. Mm-hmm. It's a, a dark boat ride that went through scenes of Mexico's history with doll-sized audio animatronics. Now, it was redone as... I think it's supposed to be grand. I th- it's grand. Grand. The Grand Fiesta Tour starring the Three Caballeros. So that's 2007 to present then. Yes. And it was the first World Showcase attraction to feature Disney characters. Oh. Yeah. Which the Three Caballeros is actually like really popular mm-hmm. uh, in Mexico. Uh, when it was like introduced, it was yeah. very, very big there when that movie came out. This is some mid-century Disney film history, actually. Yeah. Uh, the three caballeros are uh, Donald Duck mm-hmm. and a rooster from Mexico and a parrot from Brazil. Mm-hmm. And they were created as a, a way of spreading goodwill throughout America's allies 
uh, in Latin America for during the 40s and 50s. And, and the films they were in were, were funded in part by the United States government as a way, uh, uh, as part of a deal Walt entered into to keep the doors of the studio open. Yeah. So the ride still went through, like, Mexico's history, but it now incorporated the three caballeros throughout mm-hmm. it. And they kind of go on a little adventure with you in the boat ride. Fun fact, there's actually... Uh, three audio animatronic figures of the three caballeros that were originally part of the Mickey Mouse Review at Magic Kingdom uh, from 1971 to 1980. They moved to Tokyo Disneyland for 26 years and then came back to the U.S. for um, the D23 Expo and eventually found a new home in the ride. I think like 2015, it's very recent. It's really, yeah, like we we did not see them. They yeah. were not there when we were there. So um, yeah, there's there's a bit of original like Magic Kingdom opening day yeah. right there in Epcot. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. The, the Canadian Pavilion mm-hmm. has one attraction, which is that O Canada uh, 360 degree movie uh, that shows images of Canada. Uh, That was an opening day of traction. Now, it was finally updated in 2007 after a seven-year campaign by the Canadian Tourism Commission, who was like, we need to show non-1980s Canada, please? (laughs) Can we update this? (laughs) And they finally did. But a seven-year campaign. (laughs) Um, Some of the other... Films like The Wonders of China, uh, 360 film in China, and the Impressions de France film in France. Uh, France. (laughs) Both of those have had um, some updates as well that have happened. As far as I know, they were not commissioned or campaigned for by a tourism thing, but they have had some updates to their films, Mm -hmm. which were the original ones. There you go. Uh, Disney parks just hate Canadians. (laughs) It takes seven years of nagging, but for everyone else, they'll do it on their own. <laughs> the uh, USA Pavilion's American Adventure attraction has also had a few updates. Now, that is like an audio animatronic ride that tells kind of the history um, of the U.S. And it is told by uh, Ben Franklin and Mark Twain. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were some updates I know done to the end of it with like footage of like 9-11 and stuff being added into this it's montage it's pretty important like yeah that's that's a that's a watershed of american history yeah. right there so it was updated with that when epcot opened there were plans for more countries to be added mm-hmm. um more countries to be added like very soon too the advertising that they had out at opening were was advertising for an israel pavilion a spain pavilion and an Equatorial Africa Pavilion, which the Equatorial Africa one was even shown in the TV special. Like yep. they showed the the model of what it was going to mm-hmm. look like, and they and said, "Come back in a year." <laughs> that didn't really work out, did it? None of those opened, and it's actually mostly due to a lack of sponsors. Mm-hmm. Uh, the country pavilions, just like the rest of Epcot, are all sponsored. They they have sponsors that helped make them happen. 
a lot oh. of the stuff that we see that just never came to pass is because it never got a sponsor. That makes a lot of sense for future world because mm-hmm. extra funding means more flexibility to keep things up to date. It, it uh, gives these companies an investment to like put their best foot forward. Mm-hmm. Sponsorship for these countries sounds kind of like you're just trying to save cash, which is <laughs> an end to itself. Yeah. I mean, they did try to get like companies that are from those countries mm-hmm. or at least at the time i don't know how much of that is still the case but they tried to get you know companies that are from those countries to to support it the only two countries that have been added were just norway and morocco mm-hmm. neither of which were planned before opening <laughs> morocco is actually the only pavilion sponsored by the country of origin so the the Morocco Pavilion is sponsored by the nation of Morocco. Yeah. All right. It is. When they were building it, the Moroccan government sent artisans and builders mm-hmm. to Disney to help build it because they wanted it to be as authentic as possible. Right. The majority of people that worked on the Moroccan Pavilion were Moroccan like the design um, aspects of it is very accurate. It um, also embraces the you know Islamic design of not using pictures and it, such in their craftsmanship. Intricate geometric uh, design and, and mosaic. Yeah, which Morocco is actually also um, the during the like illuminations thing at night. It's the only pavilion that's not lit up because that also follows like an Islamic belief. Cool. Norway was also originally uh, planned as part of a Scandinavian pavilion. Uh-huh. Not so sort of a regional... A regional area. Thing. It's supposed to be like Norway and Denmark and Sweden and all that, you know, pushed together. Don't forget Finland. And Finland. We have that was the other in one. Finland. That was the other one. Finland. Hello, Montreth. Hey, I like Finland. I used to have like three pen pals there. But uh, Norwegian investors basically came up with enough, enough cash and support. So they bought everybody else out? Pretty much. They were like, hey, we got all this money. How about we just build a Norway pavilion? And they're like, sure, let's do it. And no one else like came forward with enough sponsorship to do it. Mm-hmm. Norway pavilion has had a change in its ride, too. It, it, it started with a maelstrom yeah. that was much like the Mexico boat ride uh-huh. in that you, you go through and it's a slow-moving boat and you see various animatronic diorama scenes of life in the history and the wilderness and the yeah. present of of Norway. And at one point you sort of go backwards and there's trolls and it's cool. Yeah. It's not there anymore. Now it's frozen. I you're just upset that it no longer does like the backwards out the thing thing. Well yeah, that's true, because I like that. <laughs> I don't mind say adding the three caballeros to the the Mexico pavilion attraction. Yeah. Because you're still learning about Mexico. Yeah. And it is kind of it is Arendelle like, is not Norway. Yeah. Well the three caballeros are also connected to like there's like like a cultural historical significance there with mm-hmm. the film and popularity it gained. Like Frozen, it's just children freaking out everywhere about I mean, it. It's, it's not specific it, to the country. It's inspired by the country's architecture and folk art. Yeah. But it is not Norway. No. There, there's no, no learning to yeah. be done there. Interesting, I guess, shift in, you know, Epcot was very much non-charactered. It was an adult 
park more so mm-hmm. is considered. It, it had alcohol. Which until recently was, you know, pretty unique. So some other ideas that were proposed for the world showcase that never came to be. There was talk of a Venezuela pavilion. Oh. Um, also a Soviet Union Russia pavilion uh, that would have a sled ride and then a, like a ride through a folktale. Mm-hmm. There was also Costa Rica, Iran, Puerto Rico, and the United Arab Emirates. That's cool. Yeah, like I think all of any or all of these all wouldn't fit, but any of these would have some real like variety. Yeah, there are three continents that are not represented. Yeah, in World Showcase. Yeah. So, and then like some specific like rides that never came to be. The Germany Pavilion was actually built to originally have a Rhine River cruise. And um, instead they have a Christmas tree ornament store. Um, so yeah, that never happened. And then uh, Japan was supposed to have a Mount Fuji coaster. But That's cool. Kodak, who was a sponsor of the photography at the time, said, no way in hell. Because of Fuji film. Yeah. They're like, <laughs> people are going to think you're promoting our competitors. No. <laughs> Do they also want to blow up the real mountain? <laughs> no, they just like, if you're doing this, we're pulling. That would have been something, though. And you can actually, I guess, like, from an aerial shot, you can kind of see where they were planning to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing I love about World Showcase is, like, all the force perspective that he yeah. used in building there. It's so interesting. Like the the Eiffel Tower, for instance. Yeah, the Eiffel Tower, like, it's, you know, wider than it should be at the bottom and narrow at the top, and it's, like, one-tenth of the actual size. And, like, if a bird landed on it, it would, like, ruin the perspective. <laughs> so they actually, they actually have, like, bird deterrence in it. <laughs> So that way birds don't land on it because that would ruin it. It would look like a Godzilla-sized bird. The tower in Italy, um, the bricks, like, get smaller as it goes up. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know the U.S. and is it the U.K. one? They do stuff with, like, the windows. Like, the U.S. pavilion is actually, um, like, five stories, but it only looks like three. <laughs> and the I think it's the U.K. Wait, one. is that the other way around? No, no, like it's actually five stories. The door, the, like the doorways are like 12 feet tall. <laughs> and then like there's only two sets of windows above it, but it's actually five stories tall. And then the, I think it's the UK one where it's only three stories, but they have like five stories of windows. <laughs> it's crazy. Well, we got to meet in the middle somewhere. <laughs> Please. So before we end, a couple other rides that aren't specifically World Showcase based, but proposed rides that never happened for Epcot. Uh, there's supposed to be a simulated bullet train ride that would have been more like a like simulated thing, not actually mm-hmm. like moving. Like Star Tours, but for transit. Yes. Okay. There was also uh, a proposed Godzilla bullet train ride that would have been a roller coaster where Godzilla's oh. coming after you. Oh, I want that so bad. It's what inspired Expedition Everest. Okay, but I want the Godzilla <laughs> one too. I want it in addition. I want them both. Yeah. Yes. And then there was the Incredible Journey Within, which was a shrink, like guests would be shrunk down to tour the body in an Omnimover Um, But it was actually, like, striked because of the 
the set piece, like, they were like, how are we going to have such a giant heart move if -hmm. they're supposed to be this little, like, you know, audio animatronics that we don't want to get into? But it inspired Body Wars, the motion simulator. Which is the the real marquee attraction of the Wonders of Life. Yeah. Not Martin Short talking about Martin Short. Yeah. So instead, (laughs) it shrunk you down, and then you got to do, like, a motion simulator of, like, star tours, but through the human body. Think, like, Magic School Bus episode. Yeah. It was cool. It was cool. That's Epcot. That's Epcot. I mean, there's more to Epcot. There's stuff I skipped. Like, this could have been, like, three episodes about Epcot if I would (laughs) have gone into all the details of sponsors and there's rides I skipped. There's pavilions I skipped. Mm -hmm. I didn't even talk about restaurants. That's, like, a whole other thing there. But (laughs) got to pick and choose a little bit. Got to choose your battles. This is a trying to make this a history show, not like a travel show. Though it's tempting. <laughs> I don't know. Did you like learn anything? Did I, I teach did. anything? I, you did you know me. it all already? I think the most interesting part of the story is Territory Jazz or whatever his name was. Territory Jazz? You know, Card Boy. Card Walker? <laughs> card Walker. <laughs> card Walker is a very interesting person. But yeah, the, the most interesting story to me is this guy who came up from, you know, the mailroom. Yeah. To uh, an executive position. And it seems that we have this park as an emblem to Walt Disney's vision, the guy who who gave him a chance. Yeah. The, the sort of compromise that it is between utopian dream and a sellable reality. It's very unique because it, of that. Exactly. That's what I was trying to say, that there's no way to copy nobody would ever copy this concept you can't really remake it yeah i mean people have made their version of disneyland style parks of Mm -hmm. hollywood studio style parks which i'm sure will be part three of this series (laughs) eventually but no one would ever dream of making another epcot because it's weird but it's cool (laughs) yeah it's so strange because i mean it really is like two parks in one mm-hmm. it is two very different places and it's very different from other things at disney and it's full of a vision of the future that comes in and out of style depending on the cycles of like which retro future is the cool one right now yeah <laughs> like all, all of the landscaping in the front is still very early <laughs> 80s yeah i do love it for for trying to be futuristic, it is, like, kind of stuck in time. I don't know. Like, it's a tribute, in a way, to Walt and, like, these crazy ideas he had. And they just made something crazier with it. <laughs> it's interesting to see some of, like, the concepts and the things he hoped to have happen, right. like, within it. I mean, because it, it is full of goodwill ambassadors from around the world. Yeah. They're really fun to talk to. Yeah. <laughs> it's very interesting to talk to the people who work there in the World Showcase because they all, for the m- most part, not all, but the most part, they're all, you know, from those countries. And So we're going to be right back with some administrative business and letters. Woo! Letters. With me, caballeros, trigue, caballeros, they say we are birds of a feather. We're happy amigos, no matter where he goes. The one, two, and three goes. We're always together. 
we're three happy chappies with snappy serapies. You find us beneath our sombreros. We're brave and we'll stay so. We're bright as a peso. We say so, the three caballeros. Welcome back, everybody. Hello. Uh, we got some wonderful letters from folks like yourselves, including. Uh, our prompt leading into this episode was your your favorite futuristic idea. Yes. Uh, and so Tam looked forward to all, all the common tropes of futurist thought in science fiction and decided that for her, uh, the ones she's most interested in are uh, being able to freely and painlessly modify one's body and infinite speed free internet. So <laughs> instead of cyberpunk, like cyber pop? <laughs> Sure. So thanks very much, Tam. Leanne sent us an email. Uh, I actually asked Leanne a question in our last mail where Leanne talked about coming to Chicago and trying Chicago pizza. This is among the most inefficient ways to communicate. (laughs) That's okay. So Leanne had Pizzeria Uno. You know, that's okay, Leanne. It's okay. It's better than Giordano's. But next time you're here... You either need to get Luminati's and get the Lou, or you need to go to Pequod's, which is, like, the best. Now, this being a history show would be remiss not to mention that Pizzeria Uno claims to have invented deep dish pizza. They all claim that. Pizzeria Uno has probably the strongest claim (laughs) of any of the existing chains Okay. Yeah. But in regards to this prompt, Leanne's favorite futuristic idea has been the replicator from Star Trek. So the ability to make any food you want at any point in time just sounds amazing. And yes, it does. That That's a good one. I have to agree with that. That would be pretty cool. Just mm-hmm. like hit a button and like get... Tea Earl Grey hot. Pizza. That too. Chicken fingers. <laughs> An apple. Thanks, Leanne. Thank you. Uh, we got a new listener. Yay! Yay, Elizabeth. Thanks for listening. She catches up with a couple uh, prompts as she works her way through the backlog. Positive note from 2016. Her spouse got a new job with her hometown government. That's fantastic. Better benefits. Oh, yeah. That's that's good stuff. Yeah, that is a great thing. And for a local oddity, uh, Elizabeth's hometown back in the 80s uh, was a center for UFO sightings. Uh, it, it just became a, a local craze. It doesn't hurt that the town was uh, in a direct training path for the Air Force, so who knows what was going on overhead. You were uh, just in an X-Files episode, weren't you? <laughs> uh, they, they even made it uh, onto an episode of Unsolved Mysteries, though their uh, portrayal of the townsfolk was less than flattering. Uh, sorry about that, Elizabeth, but thanks for writing. James sent us an email. Uh, Their favorite futuristic thing is teleporters, mainly because James gets motion sick and they think (laughs) it might solve this problem, which that is interesting. That's something I've never considered. I wonder if a teleporter would do that or would it make it worse because suddenly you're like somewhere else. There are all other kinds of sickness to deal with. Just ask Reginald Barkley. Yeah, there there are other things. Um, But... James does mention there's still the conundrum of, are you really you when you come out of a teleporter? Whoa, man. Whoa. Deep. But yeah. So anyways, <laughs> thanks, James. Porin writes in with a, a 
real grandiose plan for the future. Uh, Atlantropa, a plan from the 1920s proposed by German architect Hermann Sorgel. Uh, the plan was to drain the Mediterranean and use all that nice land for planting and expansion. He calculated that the water evaporates fast enough that if there were a dam near Gibraltar to, to keep the Atlantic from filling it up, he could dry the whole thing out. Of course, building that dam would be a practical impossibility, and even when the water evaporates, the salt in it would stay in the dirt. <laughs> but these these are small problems that can be overcome with enough ingenuity. Uh, <laughs> now, this is a plan that shows up in a number of like alternate histories where the Nazis win the war, including the man in the high castle. I don't know if that's part of the like TV adaptation going on right now, but it's in the book. How'd that work out for them in the book? Part of the book is that the the Nazi regime is clearly about to collapse. And okay, so it's ridiculous just like- projects like these are one of the, the causes. It worked, but it's not producing food as much as they wanted. Is so where it it's sits not in working. Yeah. It's not really working. So there we go. We've got Philip K. Dick and Ray Bradbury in this episode. How do you like them apples, Ooh. folks? Thank you, Perrin. If you would like to send us an email like uh, any of these fine folks, you can send those to... HistoryHoneysPodcast at gmail.com. And you can send us questions, comments, anything you want to say, including answering the prompt for next episode, which is, uh, I'd like to know about your favorite superhero. Cool. Cool. You can also send us pictures of your pets. Yeah, we don't do anything with them. <laughs> I'll look at them and go, aw. We might figure out something. Go, aw. <laughs> we could make, like, a History Honey's pet photo album on Facebook. That would be adorable. <laughs> For when everyone needs to an uplifting moment in their life. When history gets too sad, we'll just go look at everyone's pets. Speaking of Facebook, we have one. We do. You can find us at History Honeys. Give us a like. Give us a comment. Let's chat there. Uh, You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We love to communicate any which way. Yeah, and those are also at History Honeys. We kept it simple. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And while you're out there uh, getting in touch with us, why not help us get in touch with other people? Leaving a five-star review on iTunes or the podcatcher of your choice goes so, so far. Those ratings and reviews really do help. I wouldn't be surprised if that's how Elizabeth found us. Maybe someone told her about us. Yeah. Maybe a friend told her. Are you saying that word of mouth is also word, very helpful? Word of mouth it can be very, very helpful, yes. So tell your friends, tell your families, tell your doctors, tell your mail lady or mailman or, I don't know, your barista. Whoever you encounter, tell them about history, honeys. You know, another way people might have found us, <laughs> if I did my math right, this week... We are a featured podcast on the front page of Podbean. Ooh! If I counted my days properly. I mean, find us there, which is really cool. So if that's you, person listening to this, thank you so much, and I hope you enjoyed it. I'm Grant. And I'm Elena. And history's better with with your honey. honey.